1: Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett as ever. And finally, we can confirm, if you saw the match last night, we can confirm that Manchester United are in the Champions League. Finally, they have done it with one match to spare, Rob. There is a big sigh of relief around the fan base. That's definitely how
2: I felt after the game was... A big sigh of relief. You never know, do you, in those moments, what's going to happen. Obviously, the scoreline is impressive from United. The performance wasn't, but you got over the line. All you needed was that draw. We said a a goalless draw, a boring nil-nil would be okay. But just good to get it all over and done with before the Fulham match. No more of this writing the storyline about Mitrovic turning up at Old Trafford to get his revenge. Yeah, get your revenge. It doesn't matter now, does it? You know, we're in the Champions League. So, mission accomplished, as I keep saying about Ten Hag. Top four this year was was the minimum, and that was the standard. And they've hit it. It's been up and down, hasn't it? Roller coaster, And you've ended up with a trophy in your pocket on top of that, and potentially a second trophy. So, a really, really amazing first season for this manager. Um, when there were so many things in the season that really challenged him as a coach, he has passed the test.
1: Yeah, it's encouraging to see the likes of Eric Ten Hag and Bruno Fernandez saying after the game that no, we want more. Like Eric Ten Hag said something, we need better players, which was the I think the last line of his uh, his press conference released on the on the Thursday night after the game, which shows that now finally United can actually. I know they have a Cup final ahead, but you have a match to prepare for at the weekend, which is more about preserving. The fitness of your players and making sure that people are rested for the the big game that's coming in about 10 days' time or eight days' time, whatever it is. And, uh, United can now look forward. So, we'll talk on today's show about some transfer business or some transfer planning that United are looking at, what they should be doing. And you probably can guess because they're probably in the title of this show. We haven't decided what it is yet, but you can probably guess who we're going to talk about. They all play for England. So uh, enjoy that. <laughs> but yes, uh, we'll also talk a little bit about the Chelsea game itself, because there were some massive holes in that performance, despite winning 4-1. You know, United could have scored 10, but they also could have conceded 5 or 6 at the same time. So, you know, yeah. plenty of issues there. Uh, but yes, uh, subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods and watch us on YouTube twice a week, Tuesdays and Fridays as well. Head over to the channel, like, subscribe, leave a comment for us, and follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob, underscore P, and that promise and mu for the show. So we will talk Chelsea to start with because there was a period in the first half, Rob, which was quite loose, to put it nicely. That uh, is nice. Yeah, it was very nice. <laughs> Casemiro with the the early goal, obviously, and a second consecutive game that he scored in. But what we did see in that game. And what I've I've said this on this podcast all season long, that Ericsson plus Casemiro does not work for me. Hmm. And to be honest, I think we saw that again in this game against Chelsea, even though United did eventually win 4-1. But that's more of a reflection on how bad Chelsea are than anything about how good United are, you know?
2: Yeah, totally. Look, I think as well, it's it, it, the situation itself dictates the set-up, and, and what you're looking for in your performance. So we, we know United played that 4-1-5 all season long, and they're kind of, in these weeks gone by, to solidify stuff, are kind of playing a more 4-1-4-1. So that was the shape last night. And you see there that the, the the two extra midfielders bar Casemiro, kind of a floating eight, so They play that eight role where they, they, they're going to keep a tight line. And what you saw was United trying to press quite high up the pitch, quite busy and looking to do it, and failing miserably. So this was the issue, is that I thought Casemiro had a really good game, obviously gets you your goal, uh, did all the Casemiro things that we've been asking him to do for the last few weeks that like he was doing a few months ago, and I think that's a success. But Ericsson and Bruno as the eights were almost a disaster like this is a Chelsea team full of kids and they were just strolling through your press with one or two passes and it was quite hard to watch at times like there was a lot of me shouting at them last night I was like you know like hold your shape look after the space please don't give the ball away all of that stuff that we've heard many times before so yes I and I think that this is kind of when we look at the the squad building now for the summer It's Casemiro plus one in that role, isn't it? Is that he's your number six, but you definitely need a number eight who can do more number six things and also a number eight that can do more number 10 things because that is about the fabric of your midfield. Yeah. And you saw last night against a really bad Chelsea team that United couldn't quite cut it. So, you know, we'll talk about the cup final. Obviously, next week, we've got that massive game to come against Manchester City. But of course, if you put that display at Wembley against Man City, you're getting absolutely smashed by six or seven or eight goals. You just are. Because Kevin De Bruyne will be doing a merry Belgium jig all over your, your grave. It will be a nightmare. But we'd have to worry about that because you won 4-1 somehow. And like you just said there, it could have it could have been 6 all, couldn't it, in this game? It was so weird. United gave away so much territory, but managed to get the goals, obviously, that made it a relatively easy night for the players to obviously get Champions League football.
1: It was like a game of basketball at times. Totally. Really. It, it, it was, was the NBA. Yeah, it, it really was. And I think I will cut them some slack in a sense of it was, it did feel a bit end of season. You know, I think if United yeah. have maybe had a bit more pressure on them in the fact that Liverpool had beaten Aston Villa uh, on the weekend, I think maybe we would have seen a bit of a tighter performance. But in the end, I think that, yeah, I think the end of season feel came into it a little bit. It did have that vibe around it. Chelsea don't really have much to anything to play for really. And I think we just saw people having fun, <laughs> in a sense. Was uh, it fun? Well, was I enjoyed it the game. I thought, the, jo- I thought uh, the game was quite good. It was chaos, but that's not what you want in a football team.
2: No, it's not exactly. Like I, don't, I, don't, I think if you, if it's the end of the season and you expect things to be a little bit slower, less dramatic, and, and you might find that people are not playing the final ball and all of that, United were playing with energy, but like a bunch of madmen. Like, like, no, no, like, what was the system to press and let Chelsea walk through you literally dozens of times? So, I I think the thing is, is that you could see Ten Hag uh, again from his station where he is on the halfway line. And there was a lot of, hmm, what's going on here? And there was a lot of yapping to the team. But I, I don't know again, Scott, like it, it seems like a rhetorical comment that goes round and round and round and round and round. You've got these experienced players in your midfield and other positions and they go into a game like that and it almost doesn't feel serious. Like you, you're just saying there that like Liverpool have helped United. Well, what if what if this was Liverpool's opportunity here now to go and get you? Because you could have lost to Chelsea playing like that yesterday. You could have done. Chelsea could score one or two or three goals it's completely different game, isn't it? So, look, there's, it, we, there's not going to do a big kind of like post-mortem it, because you won the game, you won it pretty well in the end. You said it wasn't, you know, it's kind of exciting. And I think the narrative needs to be, well done, tick, 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 you're in the Champions League. Well done, lads. And I think that when you look at where we were, maybe after Brentford and going through the season, you know, they've done amazingly well to get here. And with some injuries as well, and poor form and Ronaldo and all of that horrible stuff. So, that's what, Kind of we can focus on, but seeing that game last night does give you the opportunity to look just a little bit forward into the next month or two and about what you absolutely have to do in the Champions League. Oh, sorry, in the in the in the transfer window to get anywhere in the Champions League in the Premier League. Like it's no not worth being in the top four for next season. This team to roll itself out because better teams will just hammer you in midfield, and we've been hammered by the top nine all season long away from home. Yes, we all know that has to be fixed, but that has to come through sign-ins now. And yeah, we all want a striker, but I'm telling you, Scott, you're going to need a couple of midfielders.
1: Well, let's do the striker part first because we know that we've talked about Harry Kane since December, <laughs> really. Yes. We said this was coming, didn't we? Before yes. it was before it was even out there, that would know, want Harry Kane. Later suggestions are, Daniel Levy doesn't want to sell Harry Kane, which is, uh, wow, I can't believe it. I'm I'm absolutely Ooh. shocked. We've said this the entire time that Dan Harry Kane's going to have to push to get out of Tottenham, and it yeah. really depends on if he's prepared to push to get out of Tottenham or not. And if he does push to get out of Tottenham, and goes public about it like he did with the Gary Neville interview, maybe he doesn't have to do that specifically, but at least make it known internally he that just he wants Gary, out. Text Gary, couldn't he? He could just tell Gary. I mean, that that would I'm sure Gary Neville would lap that up, you know. Yes. but yeah. Uh, United obviously have to explore alternative options just in case this deal either doesn't happen or takes three months because they can't be waiting three months to yeah. and signing Harry Kane on August 31st or something like that. They just can't do it. You have to move your priorities on from that, but that is the latest on Harry Kane. I'm sure that we will hear more about it, uh, but to state the obvious, Harry Kane needs to push to get out of Spurs and Daniel Levy doesn't want to sell him, so we are where we are. <laughs>
2: Yes, and, and as I said, we've known about the whole Kane situation for many months now. We've kind of commented on it repeatedly without trying to be particularly boring about the subject. But the most important thing for Man United in this potential deal was to get Champions League football. You get Champions League football and you can put that on Harry Kane's lap, then the deal itself starts to work itself out in terms of like wages, transfer fee, what Spurs will want out of the deal. Of course, Spurs are going to project out into the open world that they want one of their own, their captain to stay. And of course they want him to stay, but we know he doesn't want to stay. So that gives Man United the option there of being able to put a bid together and and to bring the player to the football club and to make sure that that all of those pieces work for Spurs as well. And I think the other side of this is Scott, and I did mention it last week. You know, I think people think that Spurs really desperately want to keep Harry Kane. Do they? I'm not quite sure now. I think that are in a rebuilding phase. And yes, if Kane wanted to stay, they'd give him the biggest contract on earth, he would stay. He doesn't want to stay. And that sometimes puts Football Club's nose out of joint. They look at him and they kind of go, okay, then thank you for your service. Here's your, here's your uh, mural outside the ground forevermore because you're a record scorer and whatnot. But that's it. We're done. And we're going to get 80, 90, 100 million for you. So that's going to be the conversation now between United and Spurs is about what do Spurs necessarily want to get the player go. But they do have a fee. I'm 100% convinced that they will have a fee. And Man United will have to match it to get the player at the club. And it's a big opportunity, Scott, to go and get one of the world class elite strikers in world football, you know, at the top of his game still, even though he is, he is ageing. You know, he's an incredible footballer that solves eight or nine issues for you in one transfer. That's massive for Eric Ten
1: Hag. Well, Harry Kane probably would have taken one of those chances that United made in the first 15 minutes. I think he'd take a hat-trick. He'd yes. get a
2: hat-trick yesterday. No problem. He'd walk those balls in the net. The things that Martial missed yesterday. Yeah, Harry Kane absolutely buries those from 12 or 15 yards with his eyes closed. And that's what you're losing, isn't it? If you don't sign a player like that, you're not as good. You're not going to be where you potentially could be.
1: Of course, uh, we await to see what happens there. But there's every chance that this could be a a ploy on the United side to say, hey, hey, Dan, why am I I saying this? Hey, uh, Mr. Levy, uh, you realize that you're going to lose Harry Kane for free next year if he doesn't sign a new contract. So you can either do business with us now or you lose out on potentially up to 100 million quid. And that's your choice. And hmm. if because Spurs can use that to rebuild if they buy the right players, uh, but yes, that we're not really any any closer to knowing either way. I think this today the reports out today is a state of the obvious, absolutely. But what United have done by beating Chelsea is secure top four. So what that does mean is that they a become a more appealing prospect for players who potentially want to join them. Mm-hmm. They have better financial backing and financial commitments coming into them uh, throughout next season. And it's cast iron proof, really, that Eric Ten Hag, if he gets what he wants, he's probably going to move in the right direction. So I think it's on the basis of uh, everything, really. This was absolutely what United needed to achieve. And what we did see in the Chelsea game was, as we've touched on already, the, the gaps in midfield are just there. They are extensive. Ericsson and Bruno Fernandes plus Casemiro does it is not it might work in some games but it's not going to work in every single game so you do need other options and since we've last recorded we have seen suggestions that Mason Mount who is in his final year of his contract at Chelsea has a preference to move to Manchester United over potentially Liverpool or even Arsenal who've been linked with him as well so We'll discuss in a second. His, is he the right profile player for United to go after? And also, should we do that first? Rob, or should we come back and do the, or Should we do them as a pair? Declan can Rice we, is the other one. Can do, We can. Do, we can do it however you want, Scott. So Declan Rice is the other one, and suggestions are that United are interested in Declan Rice, but West Ham don't want to go beneath a hundred million quid to sign Declan to sell Declan Rice. So mm-hmm. that is a hell of a lot of money to spend. Personally, I see the appeal for United in both of them. I, If you were to sign one player in midfield, I think you could get away with it being Declan Rice. I don't think you get, could get away with one midfield signing being Mason Mount. I would ideally like to see two, uh, but not Mount on his own. Because I think the profile of player, like what I've been saying for a lot of the time is, a Declan Rice is actually tall just got being very reductive united lack a bit a bit of aerial presence a bit of aerial defensive presence a bit of aerial threat in the in both boxes and they lack a player who is has a defensive brain who can travel with the ball back to front between both boxes declan rice has got a bit of a final third in him he he, he can convert chances when he gets into those positions but i really think that declan rice for me is the perfect option because We know that Casemiro is in in the club at the moment, but he he probably next season is not going to be able to do 65 games a season starting every single game. And the United don't have the rotation option beneath him. I think Declan Rice can be the person that plays alongside Casemiro and also the replacement for Casemiro if Casemiro isn't there. That is why Declan Rice for me is first choice in midfield, but the price is a big big swing. Uh, But Rob, what's your take on... You could you can do one. You could do both. What, what's your take? Well, I think, look,
2: you look at these you know three lines in our shirt. That's the catchphrase for the show here. You know, are we going to get these three players? Are they exactly what we need? I think in terms of like priority and you, if you stacked them up, it would be Kane, Rice, Mount. I think the reality of it is, is it's probably more like Mount, Rice, Kane. So you have to work within those parameters because it's what you're dealing with the football clubs and the complications of those deals. But what we do know is this, is that Declan Rice has been told that he can leave. So that's done. West Ham will find an offer for him. For the he, right can leave. Price, should he can leave for the right price. But that's 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 football. Like every, Everyone leaves for the right price. No one goes for a cheap price. So he'll go for the right price. Mason Mount someone that you thought would have been a lifer at Chelsea, you know, totally, you know, this was a guy that helped them win the Champions League not so long ago, and was a Ballon d'Or nominee, you know, stunningly that season. Mason Mount's not a bad player, but Mason Mount knows his time at Chelsea is over, even with Pochettino coming to the football club. So there's that. With the Harry Kane thing, we've just kind of talked around that, and you kind of have to wait and see. But every one of these players, Scott, all three of them, yes, they're English, but they address the problems that you have and they're gettable because of these scenarios. And they're gettable even within the budget of a transfer kitty. So, yes, Kane's going to be 80, 90, 100. Rice, I would say the same, 80, 90, 100. I know West Ham will put that 120 figure out there, but they're not getting it. But Mount also will
1: 100 if they sell.
2: I, th- I think they'll get 100, but it depends who they're selling to. Like, who really wants him? Who does, he, who does he need? Who does he want to go to? You know, there's every chance of his best friend being Mason Mount, that Mason Mount is coming to Man United and wants to go to Man United, that Declan Rice will want to go to Man United. There is that. So I think the thing is here is that when a, a good player comes onto the market, it's very difficult to judge the ceiling of the price because it's really whatever the, the, the demand is at that point. And we know that Declan Rice is a player that... Has, has, has kind of done great things over the last two or three or four years. But who really needs that kind of 6'8"? Now, you could go to all the top clubs. Like, you could say Man City could take him, but they've got a Rodri. So, like, you know, Rice, Rice probably looking at it going, well, you know, how much do I play? Look at what's happened uh, um, with the lad from Leeds. Sorry, I, was, well, I forgot his name suddenly at, at City. Calvin Phillips, his best mate. Yeah, so Calvin Phillips, his England mate, He's gone to Man City, he's won a title, yeah, but he had not played any football, and he even said the other night, you know, it's been a disastrous season for me. So I think there are things like that. Manchester United is quite an open door for a lot of these players. They're all looking at the project and going, yeah, United are sneaking back into contention now. They look pretty good, they play good football, the manager is pretty good, and and there's a good vibe about it. And do you know what? I'm going to be the one that gets them over the top. So I think when you look at Rice and you look at Mount, I think they do tick the boxes again of what you need. Man United needs someone that is not Casemiro who can play the six and also play an eight role. And then they need a more kind of diverse midfielder who can play both sides of the eight, who can play in the forward line and play the 10. Mason Mount is an absolute little genius at that. Now, I know a lot of people will not agree with me on that because I say he's had a bad year. But Mount, up until very, very recently, was showing that he was an elite, Standard European top class football, they really is. So, if you can go and execute those deals, Scott, they do answer some of the questions I think Ten Hag's posed to all of us all season long and saying, Well, you know, Scott McTominay's all right, isn't he? But he's not the answer. Fred, not the answer. Some of the kids that we've bigged up and said we want to see them, Kobe Manu's maybe the answer one day, but not the answer right this second. So, you've got to bring quality to the football club. And I think those three players. Good cultural signings. They'll come in. I think they'll work with the dressing room. They're mates with a lot of the people there at the football club already. And their quality. So this is not kind of some, I don't know, vanity project of just let's fill the the squad full of English players. Because I think there'll be a lot of United fans already be like, oh, they're not good enough because they're English. I hear about Harry Kane all the time. He's not good enough. But I know if Harry Kane was Brazilian, people would say he'd be the best striker in the world. So there's a balancing point there, isn't there, about what you really need. I think United could get all three. I really do. I think they can get all three, but I'd want them to do it quickly. Like, if you're going to do it, go, go get them. Like, don't mess around till the end of the summer and then have to go and get slim pickings for the start of the campaign because you haven't got your targets.
1: Do you think any of this is attached to the ownership situation?
2: Um, potentially, yes. Like, like we, We've asked these questions really the last two or three days um, to try and find out what smoke And what is a kind of, you know, what is, what's real, what's not real. And that's always the issue with these, these scenarios going into a trance wind. That's why I call it silly season. Um, Yeah, we do know that one side of the ownership or potential new ownership wants to put names out there. But I don't think the names actually match what you would normally expect like Mason Mount is not a oh let's stun the United faithful with a bit of a uh, washing here there and everywhere is it let's be honest so I think it's a good signing I think it's a signing that someone at Ten Hag would want I, I don't think it is at the moment we don't believe that this is just ownership hot and bluster what I do think is that Man United will buy players one way or the other there's this is not going to be uh oh the Glazers have stayed and you've only got Like people say, we've only got 50 million to spend. That's not happened ever in 10 years. Like United have had spent money every single season and they've spent it on dross. So let's buy some good players. And yes, let's get rid of the glazers. That would be fantastic. But if they stay, United are going to buy people and they're going to buy players. Make sure they're good ones that you can use.
1: Well, I know that there might be some people watching who are saying Declan Rice and Mason Mount aren't good. uh, But they're like... I, I've always been an advocate for Declan rice even when we started doing this podcast me and rob were talking about Declan rice and I was mm. saying then they should buy Declan rice and that was two years ago right yeah and we all know that Declan rice is playing in the Premier League yes he has his flaws but at the same time how can you expect a player like that to realize his entire potential if he's playing for West Ham you know of course. He, he has he, he can he has the raw the bare essentials to do everything that a modern me- midfielder needs to do know, on Mason Mount's case, it's not the automatic pick. I wouldn't have made that automatic choice. But there's a reason why Gareth Southgate keeps picking Mason Mount. There's a reason why Eric Ten Hag wanted Mason Mount when he was at Ajax and why Eric Ten Hag wants Mason Mount now. There's a reason why Thomas Tuchel loved Mason Mount. There's a reason why Pochettino wants to keep Mason Mount. Just because, you know, these coaches look at certain values the players have Mount's energy is great. I mean, yeah, you can talk about his uh, pass accuracy and all this kind of thing, but they, they have the raw essentials and they, they would imprint and they would carry out exactly what Eric and wants to do. Mount is that good example of a player that that does that. Completely. And this is how... You know, you don't need
2: superstars in every position. You need players that work and do the job. That is really it at the end of the day. And yeah, like I, I put out yesterday a tweet about a dream scenario that if United got these three players, this dream scenario. And of course, what do you get from Twitter straight away? The same old rubbish, blowback. Oh, they're not dream players, are they, Rob? Well, no, they're not dream players. Like. You know, do you go to bed at night and dream of Harry Kane? Probably not. You know, that's that's fine. That's everyone's allowed to have their own opinion that Osserman is a sexier signing and that De Jong is a better midfielder than, than Mason Mount. But it's about what's available at the time, Scott, and what you can do and how you can move them on and get them into your team. You look at Mount, you know, we know that Bayern Munich have registered their interest with Chelsea with him. they are interested in him because they would like him. But he said that he's going to stay in England, so this is this is the whole narrative shifting towards Manchester United and the advantage that United have now in this potential deal. And I think when you look at Mason Mount, again, I know it's not the popular thing to say, but I'm going to say it because I've said it all season long. So I'm going to stick with it. And that is that as good as Bruno is in the 10 and he is brilliant in the 10 when he's on the front foot in the box and around that, can, he can can make things happen. In the next third of the pitch, in the middle, he is average and he gives the ball away too much and you need another option in there. So I think that when you've got Mount, who is a very natural number 10 in a 4-3-3 three, three, or in a 4-2-3-1, it it's, it's not rocket science. It doesn't mean that Bruno doesn't start. Bruno would start, but you've seen in the last few weeks that Bruno's gone back to 10, Scott you know, the last two, three, four, five games out of necessity. I don't think he's been brilliant on the ball. He's been good at times, but he couldn't keep the ball for Toffee last night. He couldn't. Back heels, little shimmies, little moves, trying to move the No, You don't need to be clever here. You need to be smart. So I think Mason Mount's a really smart footballer. He puts it on the deck. He's clean. He's like a clean guitar tone, you know, like you can hear all the clarity in his game. That's what he is. And I think for 50, 60 million, that you're laughing like that's a player one or two years ago would have been in a much higher bracket. And that's why Chelsea are quoting 80.
1: That, that's a, that's a, a really valid point as well, actually to make Uh Chelsea are in a position where they have, when their lone players come back, they will have 45 plus players. They, they literally, they, they will have that many players and they're in a position where you talk about FFP. They do need to shift players on before the 30th of June. Hmm. And, They're in a position where every club in the world or every club in the Premier League, at least, who can potentially buy from Chelsea will know that Chelsea are in this position where they do need to shift players off their books. Yeah. Mauricio Pochettino is not going to want... He works traditionally with small squads anyway. He's going to want a squad of 23, probably. Especially if Chelsea... Maybe even smaller than that, if Chelsea aren't in European competition. So we'll we'll see how that goes. So that means, inevitably, that Chelsea are going to have to potentially compromise on some deals. So United are in a strong position here. If Mason Mount has decided, I want to go there, United could put a bid down on the table and Chelsea might want 80 million. You could say, we're paying you 55. Take it or leave it. He wants to come here and then we'll wait. <laughs> exactly. What is that? It's as simple as that.
2: And I just thought off the top of my head here, and I think I've used a similar comparison uh, in recent weeks. We talked about transfers, but it does kind of remind me of the Michael Carrick deal at Tottenham. So when he was at Tottenham, he had one really good season in midfield, obviously playing for England, coming through the ranks. And when he was linked with us, most Man United fans raised their eyebrows and went, well, how does this guy mesh with Paul skulls?" Like, this is not really what we need. What we're looking for is our next Roy Keane. Surely that's what we want. We want Roy Keane. Well, there isn't another Roy Keane out there. So you have to change what you do. Now, obviously, history tells us that Michael Carrick was a phenomenal signing, probably the best screening midfielder in Premier League history, and was a massive integral part of what United did for many, many years. But in year one and two, United fans were still not sold to him. They were like, well, yeah, he's got, he's skillful and he's good, but he's a bit slow. And, you know, he slows the play down. We don't want this. We don't want a number, You know someone who plays in that number six role a bit deeper. We want something different. But I think Mason Mount is exactly the kind of profile you need as a number eight. Like, if you take his name out of it, Scott, Mason Mount from Chelsea, throw that in the bin and just have the player's profile of what he does and his stats and his metrics, you're getting hot. You're looking at that and going, this guy is elite off the ball, elite on the ball, can score you the odd goal every now and then, Pretty decent set pieces and is an intelligent thinking footballer. Yes, please. I want more of that. I want more of that and less McTominay and less Fred. So if this ends up with McTominay and Fred going out the door and you bring in a Mount as a replacement and then a Declan Rice. Declan Rice, just to say, Scott, is the closest thing in modern football to Roy King. He's I was absolutely. I was going to
1: say that, and I thought, no, yeah. I'm not going to.
2: <laughs> I'm going to say it because I, I, you know, like obviously, I, this is me doing this for Twitter, <laughs> obviously, and I I'll get shot for it, and that's what it is. But in profile terms, someone like 23 year old Roy Keane, 23 year old Roy Keane, when 23 year old Roy Keane came from Nottingham Forest to us, he didn't have a defensive <laughs> bone in his body. Like he didn't. He was a forward-thinking player. His idea was to go from the eight and run in the box and score goals. And he did on his debut, scored twice for us. So that was the kind of player he was. And over many years, morphed into a number six or a deeper line midfielder role. Rice is already there at a younger age. Rice can already do the defensive work. He's, he's happy in that quarterback role. He's a much better passer than people give him credit for. And go look at his metrics. They are all there. The proof is there for you to see. And he's controlled this West Ham team for so long and and been the star. He's the one who's kept them going and had good seasons because of Declan Rice. And of course, he's shunned for England. We know this. He's been brilliant for England over a long period of time. So you can go get him now for 100 million. He's absolutely a 100 million pound midfielder. If Jack Grealish is a 100 million pound midfielder, Declan Rice is definitely a 100 million pound footballer. And I think this is where the the world and the, the, the market shifts, Scott. Because if you'd said that, a year or two ago, that Declan Rice was going to be around 100 million. You'd gone ah, not not for me. No, like for a six and all of that. These players have become much more valuable, important now to projects. Man United needs someone who's you know can take games by that. You know, go into games and have that hard edge to them, but at the same time can play. And Declan Rice would not look sorts at Man United. He would not look sorts at Manchester City. You know, he's that good. So I know that he's not hot and people don't look at him and go, oh, yeah, he's the kind of player I want, you know, because he's Declan Rice at the end of the day from West Ham. But, you know, we bought a boy from West Ham many years ago called Paul Ince and he made that step up and showed when people said to him that he wasn't going to be good enough and he won titles at United. So I think that these three players overall, yeah, they would be really, really good signings and you could sign them within your budget.
1: Declan Rice is 24. I've just given him a quick Google and there's a suggestion from uh, some of the British papers that he prefers Arsenal. Uh, but because, because of London. So like we said, I think
2: I said that two weeks ago. I said the big decision for Declan Rice is do I stay in London? But that then really narrows it down to Arsenal and Chelsea at the moment, like Spurs, you could say as well, but Spurs are not going to spend that money. And Chelsea who have courted him for a long time. He's an ex Chelsea boy. Have basically gone cold on him. That's that's just what it is. So it leaves you with Arsenal. Arsenal definitely want a central midfielder, but but
1: does does he fit with what they do? If you're going to still have Partey, I think he does. That the issue for me that I see with Arsenal is: do they want to break? Do they want to meet West Ham's asking price? Of course. And I think I think Arsenal are going to spend big this summer. I really do. I think they're going to spend quite a lot of dollars
2: and people will be shocked at how much money they spend because I think they're at that part of their project. But I don't think Declan Rice is exactly what they are looking for. Like people said as well about Mason Mount, you know, Mount to Arsenal. Well, he's a kind of Arteta type player, but he is. But he's not playing in that team. Like he's not getting in the team ahead of the likes of Saka and Martinelli. He just isn't in those wider roles. And he's not playing instead of Odegaard. So if you're Mason Mount, you're looking at that and going, well, yeah, you're doing well Arsenal, but not for me. I'll get a Man United. I'll probably play every week if I play well. And I'm probably going to get more money at Man United as well than I will do at Arsenal because they have a bigger pay structure. So these things all do come into play, and they are very intricate and nuanced. But I also think, Scott, this has got to come down to what you need. We know what Ten Hag really needs. He could do with five or six players, but you're not going to get that. So if you get three or four, say you got these three, and you could somehow get Kim on top, or maybe you don't get Kim, but you get a goalkeeper. Like you pay 25 million for Raya. I know you'd be happy with that. You know, then you're you're moving forward, aren't you? And I think whoever the owner is, whether it's the Glazers or anyone else, they know this. They're going to have to put big money up in the next two or three windows to make sure that you don't just stay in the Champions League. But you compete because that's really important for the profile of the kind of squad play that you can bring in.
1: Yeah, we'll see how that develops. Obviously, United are now putting the wheels in motion, or at least putting the feelers out. I would suppose to, uh, you know, go after the players that they want to bring in. And we've seen Man United for uh, ten years drag their heels in the transfer market, and obviously the ownership situation is a is a cloud that's hanging over everything at the moment. Mm. But if that is resolved as quickly as we hope it will be, at least if there's a preferred bidder who can just get cracking, United are better off getting as many of these players in as they can before they jet off to the US. Yeah. Well, look, I I think if, if the Glazers are letting their powder dry in terms of what's on
2: the table, like they know what's on the table. It's not, it isn't a secret. They know exactly what they really want to do. They're just not announcing it. They'll announce it in their own good time. And that's, that's their prerogative as the owners. Um, But I do think that that we know that Jim Radcliffe, if Jim Radcliffe is the preferred bidder, and that is emerges in the next few days and weeks, we know that Jim Radcliffe has said to the Glazers, "I want complete control of transfers now. Like I'm not waiting." I want to be able, if this is my money going into the club and this is os's money, we are not going to wait till the last two weeks of the window and then go splurging, you know, and try and bring in players that we don't really want. We're going to bring in players that fit what the manager wants. And we do know that Jim Radcliffe and, Ten, and Eric Ten Hag have had conversations. So the, the whole point of this is, is that we don't want to second guess a lot of that and we, it will emerge. But United are not, not going to spend money because the Glazers are just kind of sitting on their hands a little bit we do think the Glazers might end up hanging around with a, a minority stake and we'll have to swallow that. But the most important thing here, Scott is that the Glazers are not in control of our football club. Yeah. The debt is gone. The debt is moved away and that we can go and buy players and say to these players, right. This is a five-year project now under 10 Hag, brand new owners. Declan, we want you here for five years. Mason, we want you here for five years. And guess what, Harry, we want you to finish your, your career with us. And we want you to score 200 goals for us in the next five seasons. I think they're quite like that.
1: Yes, we'll see how it unfolds. Uh Let us know. I know which way these comments are going to go. Tell us. <laughs> we, had lo- we had loads of comments. We had loads of comments yeah. on the last video, by the way. So keep them coming in. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh Let us know what you think of any of those players. We've done Harry Kane to death, but hmm. Declan Rice and Mason Mount are... Mason Mount's a new name in the frame. Let's just say that. I think Declan Rice we've touched on before, but I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but, and maybe you can, maybe a criticism could be that, oh, maybe there's a player that Mason could do what Mason Mount does, who's in some obscure league in South America that could do the same job that would cost a third of the price. But at the same time, you don't get the guarantee that they work straight away. Whereas with Mason Mount, at least you've seen him play Premier League and Champions League and all of these different, Competitions and you know that if if you watched him enough for the last few years, he can plug straight in. To me, that's important. You see, I, I
2: always talk about Premier League ready talent. I talk about that a lot, and it's really hard to get it because you normally have to pay a premium for what you want them to do. And if they're going to be a squad player and you're playing 70, 80, 90 million, Scott, then that's not great business, is it? But you know, these three players as a collective would cost a lot of money, but do they make you much better than what you are today, and I think when we've analysed all of the issues that Man United had this year and this phenomenal season to get in the Champions League, these three players really do upgrade you. They're not sexy names, but I don't think you need sexy names. Like Neymar is a sexy name. But I I want to stay well away from Neymar, even though he is a generational talent and an icon. You know, he's not what we need. He's trouble. So that's a problem. I don't want trouble. I think these three lads actually would integrate into the kind of squad that Ten Hag is trying to build. And and he's spoken in the last week, uh, Scott, quite a bit about culture again. He's gone back to it. I'm looking for a cultural kind of player. I want a player who comes in. I think he's kind of saying, Scott, he wants players to come in and do as they're told. That's what he wants. Three players who come in who are hungry. He don't care what wages they're on. That's, he do not pay the bills, does he? He's the manager. And he's saying, I want you three to come in, win me football matches. Think about the top games United have lost this year, was it? Have we lost, was it eight out of nine this year or nine out of 10, isn't it, this year on the road in those top nine? Do those three players help you in those scenarios? Definitely. I think you maybe win three or four of those. And then you've got an extra 10 points in your pocket, Scott. So you can jump these levels with players that are not necessarily superstars. But I would say Harry Kane is a superstar. Like, it's, come on, like, he could be the, the, you know, he's had almost as good a season as Haaland when you look at the metrics. He really, really has. It's just that like Haaland is the bright, new, shiny toy, Man Man city are winning everything. So uh, Harry Kane's had a stunning season with Tottenham Hotspur in a really bad Tottenham team. So I think that's valuable. And, Man United could do a little bit of that with the top top end of the and number nine.
1: Let's uh yeah, we've done transfers. We'll I'm sure we'll do transfers quite frequently in the next few weeks just because no choice.
2: There's
1: no <laughs> choice. Uh we'll also do some maybe end of season content for you as well. Uh, looking back at individual performance. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll have this conversation and we'll bring more You tell us people. You tell like us in the comments.
2: What do you want to see in the summer? Like, we're going to do transfer shows. We know this. We'll do tactical shows. We'll look at bits and bobs. We'll do all of those things. But it's good to hear from you because you give us ideas. And this is your show at the end of the day. People are watching this show. This is for you. That's what I mean, me and Scott do it. So, yeah, tell us all the things you want to know. And I think, as obviously all the transfer rumours wheel out, we'll get a better idea, won't we, of what's going to happen at Manchester United in the next few weeks.
1: (laughs) What about in the next few days? Because Anthony sustained an injury, it seems like he is going to miss the remainder of the season. We'll maybe pick up on that in next week when we have yeah. some confirmation. I don't think we have it yet as I record this, but it seems to be that he's going to miss the FA Cup final, which is a massive shame because he has, as much as you want to criticize him, he does add a lot of balance and a big threat on the right-hand side, even if he doesn't carry through <laughs> with the threat that he offers at times. Luke Shaw... Concern, I, I again, we don't know the the extent of that. Subbed at halftime. I think this is a resting for Fulham and just try and get him ready for the FA Cup final.
2: Well, I definitely don't want to see Luke Shaw at Fulham. Like, if Ten Hag plays him, I will be going doing backflips in my seat. Like, I really hope that Ten Hag goes full rotation now and we see all the dregs of the squad playing against Fulham. It really doesn't matter, being honest, does it? A final hurrah for the. (laughs) I reckon the captain will lead us out. I really do. I think. I think. I think Maguire will be in that game, and I think there'll be quite a few other people who won't be at the football club in a few weeks' time. So there will be some of that going on. Uh, just a sad end to the season for Anthony, of course, with that injury, and he will now miss the cup final. But you know, one guy's misery is another guy's opportunity, and I think it was quite interesting to see Jaden Sancho on the right last night, I in the sense that, that I thought he looked better on the right than on the left. So, like on the left, where I think, like Ten Hag said to, uh, yesterday and today, um, oh, Jaden prefers to play off the left. Does he? Does he prefer to? Or is that just where you prefer him to play? So I think that Jaden actually looked much more natural on the right. Obviously got really good assist. And I think in the second half, his performance picked up. Whereas in the first half on the left-hand side, he just again looked a little bit all over the place and wasn't quite sure. But then so did a lot of Man United footballers. So the FA Cup final could be a massive opportunity for Jaden Sancho to reboot his Manchester United career as a right-sided player. And, you know, you can't invert on the right because you haven't got that player with the left foot. Also might mean that you see guy move to the left you might see then rashford move to center forward so all of these things might change just because of one player being injured but it gives 10 half options doesn't it and i don't actually think they're particularly bad options
1: i was going to ask you a question about the cup final but we'll leave that for next week uh any close well we're getting close to the end any closing thoughts of or things you want to touch on before we do
2: Oh, I'm just glad it's over. Like I've been saying for weeks to our audience here that and people on Twitter that I've just wanted to kind of like I just wanted this to have been done weeks ago and you could just cruise the end of this season. And today is the first day, Scott, where I kind of just feel a little bit more complete. I just kind of think to myself, yeah, you got a cup final coming up. And wouldn't it be nice to beat Man City? But you're the underdog, you're not the favourite. If you haven't got Shaw, if you haven't got Anthony, you are definitely weakened. But the job is done. You're in the Champions League next year and you've got a trophy in your pocket. And now that trophy, Scott, the League Cup, does mean something. You know, I said last week, it means nothing until you get in the Champions League. And I think some of the players said it last night as well, didn't they? I think Ten Hag said, you know, we won a trophy, but we have nothing. And what he meant was you need to have Champions League football next year. That is just part of your lifeblood. You need that. This football club needs that oxygen that the Champions League provides to help you sign players and to keep you rolling, so very pleased that we're in the, uh, the Champions League. We made top four, we might even come third. And I think at Brentford, Scott, we all would have taken that, we'd have grabbed that, wouldn't we? We'd have gone top four this season. How because Go I can
1: watch that show actually.
2: We all would have thought, I at that point six, seven, eight, nine, tenth. seventh, eight, but we thought we were going to have the season Chelsea have had, like we did. We thought this is going to be a really tough season. And will Ten Hag last? Like, will the Glazers look at this and say, six months of failure, out the football club, let's now go and get... They could have gone and got Nagelsmann, couldn't they, at this point? You know, they could have moved Ten Hag out if he was unsuccessful. So there's always people there that you can go get. So, But Ten Hag, I think, uh, he said one thing last night that really got me, and I thought it was brilliant. And he talked about Brentford, but they said, you know, how do you deal with the pressure here at Man United? And he went, hmm, I like it. That was it. And I was like, yeah, he, he, this guy was born to be at our football club. He's the right person. So I look forward to season two and the Ten Hag. I look forward to new signings. And I look forward to maybe a better brand of football. And maybe, 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 fingers crossed, a title challenge.
1: I do think, uh, we're going to wrap it soon, but I do think that the the words title challenge are in this camp's minds. Like the suggestions are that like I saw Bruno's interview afterwards, and I just thought, you know regardless of what you think of Bruno, he ultimately said a lot, something along the lines of this isn't really an achievement, you know we we need to be aspiring for more, and this is hmm. just a necessary step that United need to take to accelerate the the path, and that is the case, and yeah whether they can do it next season or whether it's the season after like the transfer window will have a big impact on that but as a as a fan base as people who have followed united for 20 30 you know i'm sure there's people who listen to this podcast have been following them for decades ultimately united you should be expecting that united challenge at the very top of the league and just because of 10 years of mismanagement don't think that well, Eric Hag has brought that belief back in. It, it feels like the camp and the players that are currently there recognize that they're there because they're at Man United, because this is a club that expects to win everything. And you can go into next season expecting a title challenge, not necessarily getting one, but that's where the expectation level should be. And it's about correcting that, of course. Of course. A hundred percent, and I and I think that this is where where we stand at this juncture, this
2: crossroads at Manchester United is that yes, things will happen with the ownership. There will be some kind of perverse irony that if the Glazers who have pillaged the football club now for so many years, almost two decades worth, that they're parting gift to us as Eric Ten Hag, like that will be kind of perverse because. There'll be that will be remembered that they hired this guy if Eric Ten Hag has long-term success. But yeah, I'm with you with, with that with Bruno. And a sense, uh, Bruno's going to be the club captain next year. Let's be honest, yeah. We're about to sell the one that we've got and he's not going to stay at the football club. Even last night where you're rotating and maybe in the game to come at Fulham, you know, he can't get minutes. Uh, he's completely fallen out of favour. He knows his time has done at Manchester United. So I think Bruno is the natural choice to, to get to take the armband, and, and I like his message. And if that's the message he's putting through the squad, and we know that it is, that's great, isn't it? Also, it's great, Scott. Did you see kind of how Casemiro celebrated last night? a guy's won five Champions Leagues, but he gets it. He understands what it means for a top club like United to be back in the Champions League. And he tweeted out, he was like, we're back. That This is where we wanted to be. This is why he came to Man United. He wanted to help United get back to The promised land. So United are halfway there because being in it is the most important thing. But then after that, you've got to go and try and win it, haven't you? And if you're going to go get Kane, you're going to go get Mount, you're going to go get Rice. But say you even want, maybe you don't want them and you go get an Osman. You're going to have to say to Osman, yeah, we've got more on the table here than Napoli and other football clubs because we're Manchester United. So that's all to play for now. Now you're in the Champions League. So again, just congratulations to the lads, because I think they do deserve it, Scott. Like As much as we are hard on them and we push them, and I know I'll berate Bruno for losing the ball, I'll keep doing that because don't lose the ball, Bruno. But they've all all worked together, and I think it's been a real team effort this season.
1: Final throwback. I remember after that 4-0 defeat at Brentford, the word relegation was mentioned in some quarters, and... Eric Ten Hag was Eric 10 games or Eric 10 weeks or Eric 10 months. And he's very firmly put that behind him. When we played <laughs> Chelsea earlier in the season,
2: Graham Potter. Yeah. When, when they were one nil up, they scored in the 87th minute. We equalized in the 92nd Casemiro. We were below Chelsea in the league. Let that sink in. So that's early in the campaign and we know how bad it was right at the start, but to, to re, reinvent yourself and navigate stuff. And 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 you went from a team that was doing nothing right to a team that started to press, a team that started to have a bit of shape, team that then became defensively very good. De Gea, Martinez, Varane, having that kind of triumph from those three, making sure that you were getting clean sheets one way or the other. Yeah, you can't play out from the back like Man City, but at least you were, you were getting clean sheets you've still got those things and you can develop them the next season. I'm looking forward to seeing Martinez come back. That was one thing I was thinking last night, seeing him come back to the team. Um, if Bruno Fernandes wasn't the captain, I think I'd probably like Martinez to be it, you know, because he, he is the heart and soul now, I think. so. Um, but what a great season. like I really do. Like, Let's hope we can cap it off at Wembley. And of course, we will talk about the cup final in the next show.
1: Yeah, we'll be back on Tuesday. We'll be doing Tuesday and Friday next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been The Promised Land from me, Scott and Rob uh, who, well, we've given you a transfer-y show today but now we can actually start looking forward because Champions League is secured. Job essentially done. Yeah, and we'll be back for more over the course of the next few weeks. And go get high this week. Say to yourself, I can get high. We can celebrate
2: this because top four is not a trophy but it's, it's what you need. It's what this football club needs.
1: Yes, uh, subscribe wherever you get your pods, Apple, Google, Spotify, and the likes. Watch us twice a week. We'll be back on Tuesday to talk about the final day of the season and some probably more transfer news. Maybe we'll have some ownership developments that we can actually speak about by that point. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Uh, But yes, uh, follow us on Twitter as well, at underscore Scott Saunders, at underscore Rob underscore B, and at Promise and MU for the show. Rob, thanks very much. From me and from Rob, this has been The Promised Land. Manchester United are back in the Champions League. And have a great bank holiday weekend, everyone in the UK. And have a great weekend, everyone, everywhere else. Thanks for listening.